Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. As I record today, Tuesday, March 8th, uh, the complete 68-team NCAA men's tournament field will be revealed uh, beginning around 5 p.m. Central uh, this coming Sunday, March 13th on CBS. Uh, But if you're serious about handicapping March Madness, your preparation needs to begin sometime before this coming Sunday. Uh, In fact, hopefully your preparation is already well underway. Hello, everyone. Again, I'm Paul Stone, and this is episode 42 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. This week's episode titled, Don't Wait Until Selection Sunday. And again, don't wait until Selection Sunday for what? Uh, Don't wait uh, to start inspecting these teams, uh, seeing how they did against the better teams on their schedules. Uh, Generally, the quality of opponents uh, that they might see in the NCAA tournament. So entering uh, today's conference tournament action on Tuesday, March 8th, it's... uh, Approaching 6.45 p.m. Central on Tuesday the 8th, as I record. Uh, We had beginning today, again, I believe five automatic qualifiers in the NCAA tournament by virtue of winning their league's end-of-season tournament. Uh, That being, or those being rather, in no particular order, Longwood, Loyola of Illinois, Murray State, Chattanooga, and Georgia State. Uh, So six more teams, I believe, if my math is correct, will be added uh, to the 68-team field uh, by day's end. And one of those, actually, we actually already have one of those teams, has already punched uh, their ticket uh, to the NCAA tournament. And that team punched their ticket by the most unconventional uh, of methods. Uh, The team didn't even play. Uh, and that team being Jacksonville State out of Alabama in the Atlantic Sun uh, Conference Championship game completed uh, within the past hour. uh, Bellarmine actually defeated Jacksonville University of the state of Florida, not to be confused with uh, Jacksonville State of Alabama. Bellarmine defeats Jacksonville, but Bellarmine, as you've probably heard, is ineligible to compete in the NCAA tournament Uh, based on the current four-year transition requirement, if you will, from Division II to Division I. Uh, The Knights, uh, interestingly, uh, looking at Bellarmine, they interestingly opened their 2021-22 season with five straight games against teams currently ranked in the top 20 
uh, those teams being Purdue, uh, Murray State, St. Mary's, Gonzaga, and UCLA. They lost those five games uh, by a total of 112 uh, points, but they did stay uh, within nine, only lost uh, by nine at St. Mary's. But I regress. Uh, Bellarmine, again, is not in the NCAA tournament. I think they're going to be uh, able to participate in the NIT uh, as the rules uh, permit. But instead, uh, conference rules stipulate that Jacksonville State, again, of Alabama, be con- uh, not to be confused again with uh, Jacksonville University of Florida, Jacksonville State is the league's automatic uh, or the league's qualifier, even though Jacksonville defeated Jacksonville State, not to get too confusing, by three in the tourney semifinals to earn the right to play Bellarmine in the conference tournament. So Jacksonville State actually lost their last game to Jacksonville uh, to uh, not get in the championship game. But Jacksonville State... Interestingly, gets the nod as the conference's representative in the NCAA tournament based on being the league's regular season champ. Uh, I've certainly seen stranger tiebreakers, etc., uh, utilized in similar situations, so I can live with that. It is odd, <laughs> and it is a lot of people are talking about the uh, the requirement for teams transitioning from Division Two to Division One. Uh, not being a good rule, so forth and so on. But they're not going to be changing rules in midstream, folks. If you don't like rules, they got to be changed before the fact, not after the fact. So maybe uh, in the future, uh, and I don't even know what the reasons are. I think a lot of people are talking on TV, not really knowing exactly uh, why those rules are in place. And I'm not saying it's a good rule necessarily, but they they very well might have uh, certain reasoning behind the the rulemaking there. Um, so, uh, anyway, I don't think it's quite as much of a head stretcher as it might appear, uh, at first glance, uh, that Jacksonville state, uh, is in the field should be noted that Jacksonville state only lost to big brother, Alabama, uh, by six, uh, six points rather one week before Christmas in Tuscaloosa. So they played the mighty tie. They did trail that game by double digits. Uh, throughout the second half, and I think they were probably down by about 15 or so. Don't quote me exactly on that, uh, but it's not like they were within two or three and got beat by six. They did close late to get within six, but only got beat by six uh, at Alabama. So that's fairly significant uh, uh, performance there by Jacksonville State in the NCAA tournament this year for the second time in school history. So as I record this week's podcast again uh, at 6.45 p.m. Central on Tuesday, March 8th, there are six teams now that have secured their ticket to the big dance with five more to be added uh, by late tonight or early tomorrow, uh, depending on where you lay your head. So, you know, what should you be doing as part of your preliminary handicapping of the NCAA tournament, uh, what you should be doing in my mind is examining the resumes of the teams already in the field. You know, some of the the leagues uh, crowning a a tournament champion to this point are, you know, quite honestly, low mid-majors. 
their caliber of competition uh, is well below average in most cases. So I don't discount, I don't just throw out their performance in their league play, but I place more value, a greater premium on how the qualifiers fared against the, you know, the tougher non-conference opponents on their schedule. You know, sure, first of all, I acknowledge these games took place in some cases more than three months ago. Um, so it's not ideal, but it is important to note that all leagues and all teams are not created equal, not even close. Uh, kind of to digress a little bit, last week, Jay Billis of ESPN, he appeared on uh, VSIN's Follow the Money with Mitch Moss and Polly Howard, and he uh, made a comment, uh, and I'm going to be careful here since I'm quoting uh, another person, but in general, uh, he commented that the tournament field did not showcase, did not include the sport's top 68 teams, uh, essentially due to the uh, automatic qualifiers from the uh, lower leagues in college basketball. You know, I totally agree. You know, I, I didn't really uh, even think that point was in dispute. Uh, but while I'm almost always a guy who leans heavily towards a meritocracy, you know, everybody doesn't get a trophy just for showing up. I, by and large, personally, I embrace the process uh, by which teams qualify for the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Uh, the fact that the little guy, you know, can get their moment in the sun, you know, simply in, in many cases by just qualifying for the tournament, not even winning a game, just being able to say, hey, man, we made it to the big dance. Do they have a legitimate shot to win the tournament? Absolutely not, uh, is the two-word answer. But they might win a game. You know, they might shock the world, like the University of Maryland Baltimore County did four years ago when it became the first 16 seed to ever beat a number one seed in the NCAA tournament when it shocked top-ranked Virginia by 20 points as a 22-and-a-half-point underdog. You know, some might not even win one game. Might they win two games? That's just what a 15-seed Oral Roberts did last year. First of all, stunning Ohio State, a number two seed uh, in its opening tournament game, and then followed that two days later uh, by defeating uh, seven-seed Florida by three. Uh, in its bid to, to make the Elite Eight, Oral Roberts came up just short. Uh, Oral Roberts actually led Arkansas uh, by 12 uh, points with 15 and a half minutes remaining before the Razorbacks' uh, superior size kind of took over and the Golden Eagles' magical run fell short by just two points. But what a run it was by Oral Roberts. If we took the, the best 68 teams or 64 teams, I'm not sure – uh, Earl Roberts, I think they finished fourth or fifth in the Summit League last year, regular season, maybe fourth. I don't think they would have even been in the tournament. But back to my original point, you know, at this point, you need to be looking at each of the automatic qualifiers' resumes, you know, fa focusing largely on those two or three or four or however many games they might have against top 100. You might even have to stretch it out to top 150 opponents. Some of these teams don't play very strong schedules. Uh, don't only look at the margin of victory, though, but take a look at the play-by-play -play in some cases 
uh, just to get a better feel for how the game actually played out. You know, after all, all 12-point victories are not created equal. You know, in one example, the losing team, uh, probably the automatic qualifier, they might have uh, led by six at the half and only trailed by four with four minutes to go. And then the winning team makes some free throws at the end, and they end up winning by 12. And then on the other hand, the losing team might have trailed by 18 at the half. Really wasn't ever in the game. Got behind as many as 23, say, midway through the second half, and then hit a few threes, you know, down the stretch to create a a misleading final. Perhaps, you know, even with some of the victors, you know, top performers, Uh, sitting out much of the game's final eight or so minutes. So how the game reached its final destination certainly makes a difference. Uh, And I think you probably can see where I'm coming from uh, in those examples. Uh, Let's do this drill, uh, examining the resume of a team already in the field. Let's do it with uh, the uh, the long wood, rather, Lancers of the uh, Big South Conference, which defeated uh, Winthrop 79-58. Uh, this past Sunday uh, to punch its uh, first ever ticket to March Madness. Uh, Just to note, you know, it has nothing to do with sports handicapping, but Longwood, uh, located in Farmville, Virginia, and folks, I used to live in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, and I can tell you there's a lot of colleges in Virginia. But Longwood, uh, it was founded as the Farmville Female Seminary Association Um, and I think that was about, uh, maybe 200 years ago. Uh, I don't have it in my notes here, but a long, long, long time ago, Longwood was actually founded as the Farmville Female Seminary Association. Didn't become a a university until a full-fledged university until 20 years ago and first began playing Division I men's basketball in 2007. And, man, I love this type of stuff. I love the tournament, uh, the stories behind the schools, the stories behind the faces. It just, you know, it's, it's what it, it's what it's about, you know, just to add another um, piece to their uh, story. Uh, the Lancers head coach, Griff uh, Aldrich, he was an assistant coach on the aforementioned Maryland-Baltimore County team. Uh, that shocked Virginia four years ago. So he's got uh, he's sort of got a unique perspective uh, when it comes to the magical moments of March Madness. Uh, you know, folks, you can't make this stuff up, man. That's just good stuff. Uh, but back to how Longwood, uh, back to the topic, how Longwood fared against the better competition on its non-conference schedule. Frankly, not very well. Uh, the, the Lancers, first of all, they predictably lost by 35 to open the season at Iowa. And then they lost on the road a couple of other games against uh, the higher caliber uh, competition uh, on their non-conference schedule. Lost a pair of games on the road at the end of November. Uh, one at Georgetown by eight and another at Old Dominion by one. Uh, Georgetown and former Georgetown great Patrick Ewing, uh, now the Hoyas head coach, uh, completed its Big East Conference schedule with a 0-19 record. Uh, so the Hoyas, uh, not very strong right now. Old Dominion, uh, just a shade below being a middle-of-the-road team in Conference USA. Uh, Old Dominion, the Monarchs, finished with an 8-10 regular season record in conference play in Conference USA. 
Uh, not surprisingly, you look at Longwood's uh, strength of schedule, which I think is uh, something to examine as well. Uh, this taken from Jeff Sagren's rankings. Longwood's schedule ranked 341st out of 358 teams playing Division I uh, basketball. Uh, so, uh, you know, that uh, obviously that schedule rankings uh, a combination of, of the quality of their league uh, and the lack of any really prominent non-conference opponents uh, in the early stages of its schedule. So Longwood's going to be difficult to get uh, a read on, you know, entering the tournament. Uh, they are 22-6 uh, and six on the season, so they might be spared an appearance in the so-called first four uh, in Dayton, Ohio, uh, the teams that have to play their way into the 64-team bracket on Tuesday and Wednesday before the tournament, in my mind, actually begins on Thursday. Uh, but they'll likely, the Lancers likely be a 16 seed or a 15 seed, uh, perhaps. And they're going to be getting roughly, you know, 20 points in the opening round, depending on their opponent. So that's just kind of a look at uh, the Longwood Lancers. So what you need to be doing again, look at each qualifier's resumes um, and, um, you know, the others as well, you know, between now and uh, this coming Sunday, the 13th of March. Uh, we're going to be adding a bunch of teams every day of these, as these conference tournament uh, championship games are played. Uh, so, uh, you know, you'll be looking at a lot of um, teams that are added to the field. You know, again, get a feel for how these teams comp uh, competed uh, against the kind of the level of opponent that they'll be facing in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and don't, you know, don't stop there, even though right now, you know, we'll only have 11 automatic qualifiers at the end of today's action. Most of the fields at large, um, some of those at large, we could call them an at large right now, and they'll go on to win their conference tournament. But most of the fields pretty much already known. I mean, you could use, you could do a Google search or you could just use your own intuition looking at standings and you could figure out pretty much who's going to be in the field. And you could be doing this same exercise on these teams prior to them winning their conference tournament or uh, prior to them having their name announced on Selection Sunday. So take a look at those teams as well. Uh, you know, many of these teams that I'm talking about, these at-large teams, they play in the power conference leagues, uh, highly rated leagues. So their, their schedules were uh, quite a bit more difficult uh, than Longwood and some of the others. You know, you might look at those teams and how they fared against top 25 caliber opponents and top 50 competition for that matter. You know, if you're old school like I am, you know, you might even get a 100-sheet spiral notebook and make a sheet for each uh, for each team. Or you might instead, uh, you know, compile the information on your notebook or, or some other device. But whatever your method, you know, have an idea of what the teams in the field have done to this point prior uh, to the announcement of the field at 5 p.m. Central this Sunday, March 13th on CBS. And don't forget, as a side note, Daylight Savings Time begins uh, this Sunday. I think uh, Hawaii and, and Arizona might be the only of the 50 U.S. states that don't uh, – don't get caught up in this uh, this changeover each year. But for most of us, daylight savings time begins this Sunday. So I think we lose an hour um, 
asked my wife about that this morning. I'm, I can I can do math and a lot of things, but that always confuses me. I, if I think about it, I can figure it out. But uh, again, I uh, a little bit off the uh, the beaten path there. So we're going to move on. This is going to be a, a shorter podcast. I've still got two more media appearances actually to do uh, tonight with the tournament uh, closing in on us. So I'm going to cut this just a little bit short, but we're going to first of all move on to this week's promotion of Paul Stone Sports uh, through yesterday's games uh, played on Monday, March 7th. My monitored record uh, as monitored by the reputable reputable uh, the sports monitor of Oklahoma City, 131 105 and three against the spread, a winning percentage of 55.5 percent. Uh, if the significance of uh, that winning percentage over the course of that sample size an entire season, almost 250 uh, selections to this point, if that doesn't resonate uh, with you, uh, I'll be finished shortly. Uh, if you've been doing this, on the other hand, for a while and understand how small that room is, uh, I invite you to to visit paulstonesports.org. Uh, you can get all of my selections, sides and totals, beginning today all the way through the national championship game on April 4th for just $179. Again, visit paulstonesports.org today if interested in proven long-term performance. Uh, I'm going to give out a um, selection in a game to be played, a uh, college basketball game to be played tomorrow, Wednesday, March 9th. I'm not going to give any great detail, just give the selection. Uh, but I'm going to look at tomorrow's uh, Patriot League final. Uh, I'm going to recommend taking the home team, Colgate, lay the six and a half against Navy. Again, take Colgate minus six and a half over Navy. Guys and gals, enjoy your week. Uh, we're uh, enjoy the madness. There's going to be a lot of great uh, games and finishes uh, in the coming days as we get our tournament field decided. We're going to have a bracket here within five days on the 13th of March. I'm going to be back with you on Tuesday, March 15th. I'm going to drop next week's podcast. But been a great season, man. It moves quickly. I uh, can't believe we got here so quickly. Everybody be safe. Hope uh, the weather's warming up where you are. Um, hope you got a spring break coming up. Uh, maybe you're going to be able to watch some of these games uh, away from work or maybe at least able to sneak away from work every once in a while or for a long while to watch some of these games. But be well, be good. And until next time, signing off again, I'm Paul Stone. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 